Our cutoff at 11 this week, one I really wish we can go into. Rafael Nadal beats Novak Djokovic in French Open to tie Roderick Fer- Roger Federer's record of 20 Grand Slam single titles. I'm so excited. I can't even say the headline, and we can't even go into it. But we posted this from USA Today on Sunday, the 11th of October. If you want to go deeper into that story, check out our website, thisisaconversation.com, and click the link for this week's podcast, and you can read about this one there and every single Every single link we went over all week long. But in mere moments, we're going to talk about the things you really, really told me were the best. This one was close, but the top 10 stories per you coming up in just a moment here on the weekly wrap up with Jay Cleveland Payne. This is for the week ending October 17th, 2020. Welcome to the show. Jay Cleveland Payne is who I am, and this is the weekly wrap-up. This show brought to you by The Conversation Project is a way to allow you, to allow us, to allow you, to allow us, to get together and have a general greater conversation about news stories and things that are interesting that aren't dictated by the mainstream media. Now, yes, the mainstream media does the work of actually gathering the news and then we put it out there as an aggregator via our social networks and you do the work of telling us which stories are actually worth talking about at the end of the week going from friday to friday ish about midnight friday to about 5 a.m or so friday morning to get about seven days plus a couple hours to see which stories are the most conversational now this week a bit of a wrinkle as the thursday going into friday time where twitter had some issues putting out some stuff so there's a couple things that didn't get a lot of twitter love on the front end back end. i want to say it inside of the story so maybe would have made some difference but we can only go with the numbers that you gave us so thank you so much for being a part of this to join us on the twitter it is th underscore conversation follow us there for Facebook, look for This is the Conversation. Our symbol is a blue speech bubble-looking thing, and make sure you set us up as a default in your feed. So as you check your feed, just in general, look for our stories, look for our posts. About every 50 minutes or so, we'll post a brand-new headline from various different sources. You just need to like them, love them, hate them, share them, engage with the sources. Go ahead and read them, please. But as the stories get more and more engagement, they go higher in the score. Now, on Friday morning, around 4 o'clock, 5 in the morning at Central Time, if that makes a difference, we cut it off, we pulled the numbers, and we put them in a spreadsheet that weighs out the Facebook and the Twitter and gives us one full score. We need to count everything down from top to bottom. Top, of course, means number one. The bottom this week goes all the way down to 200, 200 distinct different stories that we posted in our seven-day window. And we're going to go into those in a bit. At the end of the show, we'll go into some of the numbers and how things kind of broke down, how the engagement goes within the different stories. And, of course, let you know what we call is the almost irrelevant story of the week. It is story number 200 this week, as we said. Uh, We'll let you know what it is, sort of why it is and where it fits in in the, the full context of things. To get deeper into what's going on, you can always go to our website, thisistheconversation.com. Of course, you can go there and find the link for this week's podcast, week ending October the 17th, 2020. All the links to every single story from 1 to 200 are listed on this week's podcast link. And, of course, while you're there, stop by our sponsors, find someone who may offer something that you may like. And if you click on the link and buy something, we get a little bit of that as a piece for us. So keep things going here. Want to be a direct link, a direct person uh, coming into uh, what's going on, helping us get things going? Go to thisisaconversation.com slash partnerships. See how you become a regular partner with us here on the podcast. 
And of course, you always just email me for whatever you think about things by going to your email machine, send it to the conversation inbox at gmail.com. All right, without further ado, let's get into the countdown this week. Uh, thank you so much for people who have responded to the changes we've had in the last couple of weeks in making things mostly work for most of you in the change of format. Uh, we're still working on the brevity and keeping things on time again so it doesn't stretch out for time, but we're doing our best to make sure things work out in a quick and simple and very entertaining manner and hopefully very conversational. And so we'll get straight into the conversation with the story at number 10. Headline for that one reads, Rick Renteria out as White Sox manager. Posted on Monday, the 12th of October. This gets a bump in response, which means more people responded to this one than the cutoff story at 11 by 3.28%. That's what made this one number 10 over that one. Now, we're not going to spend a lot of time on Rick Renteria, but we're going to talk about the issue here specifically about managers and coaches and folks in charge of sports teams getting fired all of a sudden. Now, this is a very odd time in history with all the COVID-19 stuff going on and all the different pushbacks and restarts and fits and starts in all of the different sports eras. Of course, basketball, the NBA just finished up and hockey finished up about three or four weeks before that. So now that those seasons are over, you start hearing about the flip flops and the changes and guard for those for new life in those those series as well. Baseball now in the playoffs, it's weird where they're there, but they're going to basically start the World Series next week as we record this. And so there are the managers that didn't quite make it and ones that that made the extra. They're like 16 teams in the playoffs or something like that but didn't make it to the championship rounds. And so they're looking for change of the pace. In this case, this is the White Sox, one Chicago team trying to change things up. And that's Rick Renteria being kicked off of that team. Lots of big names are popping up and we'll see. They usually don't hire people until after the World Series or championship games. That's usually when the hiring actually happens in these things because there's a lot of people still locked down on things. And sometimes those people playing in those games are actually – contenders for the job so they don't want to really tip their hand so we'll see who's going to be the skipper for the white Sox very very soon in the meantime you can talk to me about any of your sports fixes how you liked it how you loved it how you did not like it the way things came down and if you want to complain about there's a lot of people complaining about the way things came down one from just a speed and compression standpoint one from a boringness standpoint because you know no no fans changed the game and a lot of people complaining about the differences in the atmosphere as a lot of social justice, Black Lives Matter type things brought into the limelight from here. We can talk about that. Email me at the conversation inbox and at gmail.com, of course, and we can chat on that one offline. At number nine this week, the headline, Amy Cooper made second 911 call about Black Bird Watcher in Central Park, prosecutors say. We posted this from CNN on Wednesday, the 14th of October, a bumper response from the number 10 story of 1.59%. Months ago, seeming like 100 years ago with all this stuff here, Amy Cooper was a person who called the 911 on a bird watcher who was in Central Park watching Amy Cooper not take care of her dog. A dog was running around unleashed in an area where a dog should have been leashed and he asked her to leash her dog, and she called 911 to say there was a black person menacing her. Apparently, she made another call along the same lines, and 
police just basically said this was uh, a hoax. This was fake. This was stupid. Why are you wasting my time? Amy Cooper, of course, lost a lot, a lot of clout over this one, losing her job, being basically put on blast nationally and just being called a bad dog mom. And I think I'm not sure if they took her dog away uh, forever, but I know they took the dog away for quite some time. Look, folks, we're not going to get into the uh, blinking while black thing today, at least not on this one here. But you've got to know that all actions have consequences. And it's not a matter of doing bad things mean bad things happen. Consequences just means when you press a button, something happens. The consequence could be good or bad. So really, really, really think about what you're doing. I know there's a lot of folks getting in sucked into the kind of the Karen thing and and, and what's going on. Uh, but really, just kind of be a be a nice, decent human being when you're thinking about stuff. If someone is actually bothering you, then make a noise and take get some action taken. If someone is sort of annoying you because you're doing something that's sort of annoying and just sort of out of the national realm of just being a general human being, a general nice person, then either be annoyed with each other and move on or stop being so annoying. There you go. At number eight this week, headline, President Donald Trump dropped the F-bomb on conservative commentator Rush Limbaugh's live radio show. Posted on Friday, the 9th of October, bump in response from number nine of 7.81%. So how did we get here? Well, a few weeks back, if you remember, we had a presidential debate. And a few days before that, we apparently had an issue where President Trump was probably infected with the coronavirus, probably on Saturday at a a party at the White House. I think not a party, but it was basically an announcement for Amy Coney Barrett and her um, nomination for the Supreme Court. It turned into a super spreader event where many people ended up contracting coronavirus and maybe people getting really, really sick from it. A few days prior, we knew that Hope Hicks, one of the president's uh, top advisors, was really, really sick from it. And we sort of let it believe that her catching it someplace gave it to Donald Trump. And then he had his own whole thing in with COVID-19 and, and the Walter Reed stuff. We're going to kind of skip past that thing. But eventually, Donald Trump returned back to the White House, more or less back to normal, getting back to work. And since he was essentially taken off the campaign trail and taking himself out of the upcoming debate, he took to regular broadcasts, regular broadcast medians to essentially keep campaigning. Now, when you're the president and you call somebody, uh, you want to give an interview, they basically take it. So he did a lot of time on Fox News, did, did some time on Mark Levin's radio show the same night as well. But two days out or so, maybe a day or so, but they had a chance to announce that President Trump was spending the three hours of Rush Limbaugh's show as a basically a national town hall. And, of course, uh, you know, the the listeners, I work for a radio group with a station that airs Rush Limbaugh, and the listeners were all into it. But somewhere along the line, he did do Donald Trumpish stuff and did drop an F-bomb. It wasn't necessarily gratuitous, but it is one of those things where you hear rumors of people having sort of potty mouse type stuff. And you hear that about Donald Trump essentially being a flamethrower with the language. And this is one of the cases where he just he let one slip, got too lost in himself and let one slip. Not sure if well, we're pretty sure there are no fines going down the lines. And because I appreciate anybody who was listening to that broadcast that intently 
we weren't going to call the president on what was happening, but it was just one of those things that just sort of happened that you just sort of had to be there. I'm sure there are clips of it all over the Internet for what it was. It was essentially a throwaway line as he was explaining something, but it did happen. Yes, it did happen. At number seven, Johnson and Johnson pauses COVID-19 vaccine trial due to unexplained illness posted on Tuesday, the 13th of October, a bump in response from the number eight story of one point four five percent. What does this all mean? Well, Johnson Johnson becomes the third drug maker to pause or do some sort of modification to their COVID-19 testing because of some reason. And the reason they are the second to pause because someone contracted an illness, someone contracted something that was outside of parameters of the test. Now, we don't know whether it was the placebo people or the COVID-19 actual vaccine people, which makes it worse because that means the, the, the vaccine may have caused the unknown illness. And what we hear, know, know about this is they have paused it, they're going to keep it paused until after the election. So a lot of Donald Trump's hype about there being a vaccine that you can basically have the day before the election, which was going to be impossible anyway, uh, if, it, if it were going to happen, it's not happening from Johnson & Johnson because they're going to wait until after the election is over, at least the election day is passed, to go back to work on the vaccine. Uh, it, the 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 amazingness of Operation Warp Speed is that it's a good thing that they're putting all this effort and all these resources into getting this thing done. The sort of backlash which is deserved on it is it's like you think you're going to create this thing in record time, literally in a third to a quarter of the time. You usually go through the process without any hiccups. Here are the hiccups, and this is why they take so long to work these things out because they're usually hiccups, and this is one right here. At number six, Twitter reacts to Dodgers pitchers Walker Bueller very tight pants during NCLS game one. Game one happened on Monday, and we posted this for you guys on the next day, the Tuesday, Tuesday the 13th of October. And it's just a bumping response of 2.86% from the story at number seven. So, what's the big deal? Well, the Braves and the Dodgers uh, were taking on each other in the uh, National League Championship Series. The first game of it started last Monday. As we said earlier, the World Series basically starts next week. And while most people these days essentially uh, gawk at the, the players and go back and forth on whether they're wearing the stirrups and long socks, apparently uh, Bueller decided to go really, really, really retro and wear the really, really tight pants on the day. So tight that the basically his teammates were, were making fun of him uh, on the mound and doing benchy stuff. And because it was so obvious, Twitter, because Twitter always has a say, went nuts over the fashion, we'll say, faux pas. And by the way, the Dodgers ended up losing that game anyway. So I don't know if you can blame it on the pants, but it was especially a sight to see on the TV on Monday. So whether you are a fan of the tight pants, fan of the high socks, uh, you got a chance to kind of go into it on Twitter. If you did, you missed it. That was a whole week ago at this point. Uh, go in uh, on a guy who, and even and on top of things, didn't quite get the job done when it came to pitching on the night. Let's move on to the next story at number six. The headline, I'm sorry, number five. The headline is Cleopatra epic to reteam Wonder Woman's Gail Godot 
and Patty Jenkins. Paramount wins wild auction. Sunday, the 11th of October's day, that was posted with a bump in response from the story at 6 to 1.39%. This story had a lot of people going off the rails. This people had a lot of people going just nuts. And there's a lot of things that, a lot of intricacies to this story. That, that The reason why I bring up so many storylines to, to basically who you are and how you define yourself, you can pick your storyline to battle in this case. Number one, the biggest thing that affected most people come the obvious is the fact that this will be the at least this will be the whatever time that Cleopatra will be depicted as someone who is not of an African descent or a darker skinned African descent, if you will, on the big screen because she tends to not be Elizabeth Taylor, of course, very famous for playing Cleopatra and not being of African descent, if you will. Now, uh, one thing that sort of came up into the discussion to try to quell some of it is the fact that people went really, really deep into Cleopatra's background, which they didn't do back in uh, Liz Taylor's day because nobody cared. Um, A lot of talk about her actual origin, her actual um, birthright, if you will, her actual ethnicity is that Cleopatra was essentially had was descended from herself from Greek, from Greek origins, from the, from Greece, and isn't necessarily a of African descent. I can't speak today. Sorry about that. So there's sort of Greek washing the fact that Gail Godot, who is Greek, uh, is about to play Cleopatra. So it's actually kind of right. We'll see how that thing works out. The number two thing is the fact there were a lot of studios that were bidding for this new big epic, not necessarily because of Gail Godot, but Cleopatra is an epic type story. And even though they don't tend to work out as well as they did back in the day, every so often the studios want to roll the dice on something and take something big and really make it really even bigger. And we're going to see if this works out with here. And of course, the great big super success that Gail Godot had in working with Patty Jenkins for Wonder Woman. And I believe they're both working on Wonder Woman 84. I believe she's also uh, attached to that as well. Um, We'll see exactly how that translates to the big screen new version of Cleopatra. I'm sure Gail Godot will do a great job. There will be people who will, of course, flatten it because the whole she's not black thing, which is a thing, is a thing, by the way. Uh, But we'll basically kind of have to wait and see. And, of course, we basically have to wait and see if this thing actually comes about. We're still dealing with a lot of other things that are being held back and just just stymied because of COVID-19 regulations, getting all those people together to film big old movies. We'll see when this thing kicks off, if it kicks off, and how well it'll be after it's all said and done. We go to number four, the story listed there, headline, Twitter suspends accounts claiming to be Black Trump supporters posted on Wednesday, the 14th of October, bump in response from the number five story of 10.96%. This is another thing that's an actual big deal. And this is Twitter and social media chewing their best to not get in the way or not uh, affect the upcoming election, which incidentally means getting in the way and affecting the way information about the upcoming election is being disseminated in which they got a lot of flack for, for 2016. And I guess a little before and much after 
because of just the way things went on, especially because the Russian bots thing, which is, of course, a thing as well. Things being apparently a thing this week. Now, apparently the bots were back again and they keep coming back this time. A very clever disguise of being black supporters of Donald Trump tweeting things on Twitter about that. And it's not necessarily that they're not tweeting things that Trump supporters don't 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 believe. It's just that they're not real Trump supporters and not real accounts attached to real people. And so they're obviously not black folks tweeting about Donald Trump. There's a lot of back and forth. And as a black person, I, I will go into this very quickly. It's a lot of black and forth, back and forth about uh, support for the candidates, support for the Democrats, support for the Republicans, specifically on the national ticket, on the big ticket for the presidency on Biden and Trump. And there's a lot of backlash about people. Uh, which is kind of always there that the Democrats lean too heavy on black people for their support and that Republicans should have more black members. We'll get to that in a moment or people following on that line. And that's a debate that should be had. And there are plenty of people who are African-American. There are plenty of people who are Hispanic-American. There are plenty of people who are Asian-American. There are plenty of people who are hyphenated Americans of different skin tones who are supporting Donald Trump, even if some of the things he openly says are really abusive and wrong. And some of the, the different things he supports and pledges to do are literally uh, fighting against the, the main core group of the hyphenated Americans that are out there. It is what it is. So it's, it's a kind of a, a dicey back and forth, but in a time where four years ago, the Republicans were actually not only had people who were of black descent, African-American descent, uh, coming in and trying to run for the nomination on that party, seeing a lot of an, an increase in black Republicans anyway. But this is Twitter bots who are pretending to be black Republicans supporting Trump, which in most cases the in the optics isn't really true. But... We will see what happens in less than two weeks, basically, less than three weeks or so, as we are as a court. This uh, this is being recorded on the 17th of October. Uh, November 3rd is Election Day. We will see very soon what all will become, and we'll see what those stories will be. I'm sure there will be a lot of conversation about those things running up to and running well past the election. Story at number three. This story was a hot one. Both Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield have reportedly joined the next Spider-Man movie. Wednesday, the 14th of October, the day we posted that one, and gets a bump of response of 27.16%. So we all love Tom Holland. We all love Tom Holland's take on Spider-Man, and we all love the way the MCU, the new integrated Spider-Man, integrated Marvel Universe, and Spider-Man is interacting. And, of course, They've changed up the Spider-Man story quite by quite a bit um, to reflect, one, a traditional Spider-Man, and two, the sort of instant pull into the Marvel Cinematic Universe that was already going. Remember, uh, these Garfield Spider-Man and Maguire Spider-Man were owned and still technically owned by Sony, and those were independent stories like most superhero stories were where the superheroes only exist in that one realm. They don't cross over very well because they just don't cross over very well. Marvel and MCU building the the, the stack on stack on stack, basically in order to create Avengers-style movies, 
change that. And with a lot of different buyouts lately, a lot of folks got different places and the right singer there. We're going to see a lot more properties owned by Sony and Fox eventually coming their way into the Marvel Cinematic Universe and television universes soon as well. Now, we first heard about Electro as played by Jamie Foxx, although Jamie Foxx says he won't be so blue this time, uh, joining the cast of Spider-Man 3. We now hear that McGuire and Garfield are signed up for this, which people are basically gigging out for because they believe that means the next Spider-Man is all about the multiverse, which we got the chance to see in Spider-Man into the multiverse in animated fashion. Other rumors have a way, because of some villains that they're tossing out there, to sort of backdoor in the kingpin. And so we're going to see if that plays out. I know Vincent D'Onoprio has said he wants in the movies. And so um, he he definitely wants in the movies. And this would be a way to get him into the movie, rewriting the character a, a bit, I would say. We've already seen J.K. Simmons coming in, bringing back J.J. Uh, Jameson uh, to... Um, the new Spider-Man version, although updated for the new times as a digital version and not so much a print version. We'll see what becomes of the Spider-Men in Spider-Man three. I promise you more Trump. I promise you more black Twitter or black uh, Republican response. And this is one that got a little dicey this week. Headline reads Trump hosts hundreds of Blexit supporters and Candace Owens at white house peaceful protest posted on Saturday, the 10th of October, bumper response from the number three story of 12.26%. Now a whole lot goes in this one as well. Donald Trump, a few days prior had just returned from being um, at Walter Reed. He was definitely on quarantine there, came back to the white house. There was some quarantine factors and basically it was his first public appearance where he was going to open, he opened up the uh, South Lawn um, balcony where he had returned a few days prior for that very weird thing to speak to um, black supporters of Donald Trump at an event where thousands were, of course, invited, but only a few hundred showed up. A big thing about this is Candace Owen, who is um, a right now a very prominent black conservative, had a Blexit event essentially showcasing black people who are supporting conservative values, conservative um, uh, uh, people on the ballots and Donald Trump. Uh, along with this thing was a lot of fanfare. The Marine band played. And of course, it's, it's it wasn't so much a celebration of these people, but it turned into, as all things Donald Trump turned into a rally for voting for him, which may or may not probably may have uh, violated the Hatch Act. Again, though personally, and it brings up Candace Owen, who is a very controversial figure in the um, the communities right now. Uh, it's very controversial on the black black community, even though there are other black conservatives who are essentially as as loud, for lack of a better word, as as she is. But when Candace Owens comes up, every single time she comes on TV, every single time she has an appearance, every time I read an article by her and just listen to what she's saying, I just want to just reach out and give her a hug. Even in COVID times, it's like Candace Owens, you need a hug. I just want to literally hug her and just whisper to her inner ear. Who hurt you, boo? Who who did this to you? Why is there so much anger? Why is there 
so much strife going on in your life. Why do you push this so hard? I literally, this is me honest, stepping out of the whatever sort of neutral thing I'm supposed to be doing for this podcast, me, I'm not understanding Candace Owens' deal because I understand other people's deal because they explain it very well. Candace Owen, a lot like Tommy Lauren per se, just sort of appeared inside of the um, the movement and all of a sudden became just this big name, what's going on. They're very young people uh, doing very dynamic things, which is not not bad at all, but it's like you got no background. You've got no timeline. We don't know where you came from. You just kind of showed up and started yelling stuff and people just went with it. I always, I'm, I'm always just dumbfounded by by the background that Candace Owens apparently came from because it's just something just just in my personal mind just doesn't jive. I get Larry Elder. He's been doing this for a long time. I don't get Candace Owens. And maybe I just need to do more research. Maybe it's it's all me. You want to complain at me about that or you want to, you know, send me some Candace Owens stuff. The conversation in the box at gmail.com. We can have this discussion. I, like I said, whenever she's on TV and she starts talking uh, her talk and it's not that I'm against a conservative because I basically vote conservative. I'm I'm just slightly right of center and, I, and I'm a registered Republican and I have been for quite some time. But whenever she starts, you know, waving pom poms and doing the cheerleading thing, I just I wonder what who hurt you? I, that's just me. Apologies for being whatever stick you want to call me. But that's just me. So, Candace, if you're out there, email me. We need to talk. Now, let's get to the story at number one this week, the fanfare that comes with it. It is both the top Facebook story for the week and the top Twitter story for the week. Normally, Twitter runs the thing, so that usually tells you which at the top, but it gets a bump because of Facebook. And oddly enough, the Facebook push is what made this the number one story over uh, Trump and the Blexit event. So there you go. A bumper response from the number two of only 7.76%. So that sounds like a lot, but in theory, with everything going on, that's not very high for what the number one stories have been lately. This is a bumper response from the number 10 story, which is Rick Renteria being kicked off the White Sox's uh, payroll of 98.41%. And of the story at number 200, the almost relevant story of the week, the bumper response is 12,400%. That much more responsive than a story you cared very little about. And so the headline for the story you cared a lot about this week reads like this. Comedian Bill Burr cheered, blasted for his jokes about white women and woke culture on Saturday Night Live. And we posted it on Sunday, the set, the 11th of October, basically the day after it came out. And so this was really fresh and some some people really raw. Uh, this is the third, second, um, the second episode of Saturday Night Live for the season. The first episode Fritchin' Chris Rock, we got rave reviews from pretty much everybody. Of course, some people didn't like some of the jokes he told as well. Uh, There's already some some people uh, kind of keeping an eye on things going on because there were folks that, well, the musical guest was canceled because he was seen at some party not wearing a mask. So everything is spe- specifically uh, COVID safe for what's going here. Then Bill Burr came on, told some jokes that weren't so nice, told some jokes specifically about Michelle Obama. Wasn't very nice uh, and kind of went on the the back and forth, essentially, uh, basically just skewering everybody, both sides. 
If you've seen Bill Burr on any of his his, his his comedy, right now he has a new special out, a newish special out on Netflix, which makes him relevant to be on Saturday Night Live. You would know this is the type of stuff he does all the time. And he says, tells folks he's not playing a character. He's not, you know, doing some sort of shtick. He just tells jokes of things that are funny to him, things that are odd to him that he can put a nice spin into a joke to the world. And whether he is telling jokes to liberal folks or conservative folks, the joke's still a joke. And so that's basically how he he portrays it. And there are plenty of people who are big fans of Michelle Obama who essentially just took under the chin with the jokes he threw out there on Saturday night. And there are folks on the other side as well who took it on the chin on the jokes he said at them as well. He does kind of go directly at uh, the liberal uh liberal people for for the most part but that doesn't mean conservatives don't get skewered as well so bill burr bill burr say that three times fast did his job went on saturday night live did some funny stuff made a few people upset but he's okay with it and so if he's okay with it it's not very much you can do about it because apparently people keep paying him money to listen to him say his things and that's how it goes so Going through some of the stats for the week, the engagement for that number one story. Uh, and, and this was a week, as we said, there was a lot of sort of Twitter madness going on on Thursday. Uh, but uh, so there were some stories that didn't get a lot of responses that they could have. Twitter was was down and up and down and up. So some things were presented. Some things weren't. Uh, There's a few stories that got zero response that, that, that saw, you know, very little action inside of the countdown, but they weren't down towards a zero. So there's still plenty there. But the engagement of the one story at number one, that's entire entire engagement with all the stories out there. Three point three three percent. And like I said, the margin of bump and response from Bruni two uh, means the number two story was pretty tight with that. Only three point zero nine percent. So only about twenty five point twenty five percent of a point. Uh, or a quarter of a point there to split the two at number one and number two. And that basically, like I said, Facebook, the big Facebook response to that one pushed it over the top for that one. Now, because of the uh, the lack of response in the late term on Wednesday-ish to Friday-ish, the total top 10 response with less Twitter came out to, I'm sorry, engagement came out to about 22.27%. So normally that ranges 25 to 30% in the top tier. This week, it was only 22%, just slightly lower, which meant that the stories in the near-miss category, 11 through 15, uh, took a little extra bump. That's usually about seven, about 5%, maybe sometimes 6 This week, it was 7.75% in the top, 11 through 15, should say. The story at the very, very bottom only got 0.03%. That's more or less where it normally is, so there's nothing different there. Now, the Facebook got a little more extra love because of Twitter being more or less down for a couple days, 18.65% and 81.35% for their engagement total on the Twitter. Uh, That's how it came down this week. We'll see what happens when things are hopefully more normal. And we are also doing some more to feed things into Facebook so that the response is higher. We never expect it to be close to 50-50, but we'd like it to be. Uh, the 20 percent, maybe 25 percent to be something that is normal for Facebook as opposed to the ad normal. It's good. We love it. But we'd like it to be a little more on the normal side. We'll see how that works out. 
Now, the final story for the week we're going to talk about here, the almost relevant story of the week at number 200 was an oddity. And as we said, these are normally stories that are posted on Thursday. And we do have a lot of Thursday stories that had a lower response because, as we said, Twitter was was kind of wigging out. But the story that actually is at the very bottom is a story from Wednesday, Wednesday, the 14th of October. It, as we said, the bump in response or the response lessness of 12,400% from the number one story. Headline is Jeopardy gets a surprise when only one contestant makes it to the final round. Last week on Jeopardy, the the, the reigning champion did what he did and made his way to final Jeopardy because that's what they do. Champion's going to champ. His competitors for the day ended up with a zero and a negative number going into Final Jeopardy. So they go nowhere. There were literally only one person sitting there on the stage for the Final Jeopardy question, which he actually answered and actually answered correct and got some extra money because champions got a champ. This is the first time this has happened in since the 80s. So it's been a long time uh, since um, two people got wiped out on their way to the Final Jeopardy round and leaving one person there. It's, um, it's an amazing feat. Alex Rebecca had a couple jokes about it. The contestant did his thing. Like I said, champ's going to champ. And they went on with it. But if you're not a big Jeopardy watcher now, I know appointment TV and Jeopardy in a long form of sense is harder to keep up with in these days. You would wonder, you know, how these things don't happen more often. Well, usually the people bet much better. But on that day, the champ was that much better than everybody else. uh, So much so that they just couldn't even have a dollar left to compete in the final round. Although sometimes those rounds are just fruitless anyway. But this week, on this day, one man prevailed without any composition whatsoever. And if you are opposed to this show being over, then apparently you're going to be disappointed. But if you're for that, we're done. We're at the end of the weekly wrap-up for this week. Thank you so much for joining me for the podcast. As we said, we're changing things around, trying to maneuver things so it's better for as i just said the sort of instant need to get the information thing so if you like it let us know if you don't like it let us know we'll try to fix it so there's a nice even balance for as many folks as possible email me at the conversation inbox at gmail.com visit our website this is the conversation.com and you can find the link to every single story from one to 200 to go deeper into this week and this of course this is the info for the week ending october 17th 2020 check that out as well you can also help us out in many ways if you see a sponsor in any of our platforms on our newsletter you see it on the website um, you see it coming through the feed a link a, a sponsor link in the feed uh, visit a sponsor and if you buy from them we get a little bit back on that in as referral and we thank you so much for that you can be a direct supporter by going to this is the conversation.com slash partnerships and directly partner with us on a continual basis you can find this on patreon there of course go to buy me a coffee and just keep me caffeinated caffeine helps a lot these days so it goes there as well course the biggest thing you can do is if you've just now found this podcast make sure you're subscribed to it so you don't miss out on episodes as it, as it comes down the line every week and share it with other people other conversational persons that of course not grammatically correct but you get the point the whole point of the conversation and the conversation project is to talk about or get into a larger mainstream group stories that don't get stuck on the chirons for a day 
of writings for as the top breaking news story, even though other things happen. There are sometimes smaller stories that can tug at your heart or sometimes offside stories that you probably should know more about, but they get distracted because the big shiny object is over here. You To be more informed, to be more in the know what's going on, you've got to go into deeper stories and sometimes sources you don't necessarily like all that much. So check us out. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Facebook, this is the conversation. Twitter, TH underscore conversation. Engage with the stories and make the score go up. And share the podcast and the feeds with other people so we can have more people having deeper conversations and more real numbers for what's going on. If you want to see more of the other objects, other things that I'm in the works with, check out jclevenpain.net. And, of course, as we said, email the show at theconversationinbox at gmail.com for anything you want to talk about. In the meantime, we are, yes, preparing for next week. Stories are already on the line, so people have already responded to stories from Friday and Saturday. So you do it as well. We'll be back next week with another wrap-up, the top ten stories that you said. Yes, you said. Not Wolf Blitzer, not Rachel Maddow, not even Tucker Carlson. We, we, we don't go to them. We go to you and say what stories are the most conversational on the weekly wrap-up with Jay Cleveland Payne. So we'll talk to you next week.